Greetings and welcome back to another ongoing series of Shurim and Daf Yomim. My name is Yitzchak Shalom. We are now in the in Kiddushin Daf Chavteta Madalif at Mishnah Zion, uh, and we are will only take a look at the first half of the first half of this Mishnah. But I'll give a quick introduction, and then we'll have a relatively long podcast today dealing with that particular piece. And as we examine more of the Gemara, we'll go back to the piece of the Mishnah being discussed. This Mishnah takes us on a whole different direction, as I mentioned in the opening shear of the Masachet. And from here until the end of the Perak, we will not be dealing with Kiddushin at all. We will also not be dealing with Kinyanim at all, which we've been focused on since Daf Yodalad, uh, with the occasional mentions of Kiddushin in the context of Yud. Uh, and this Mishnah, Mishnah Zion, which is really the turning point in the Perak, presents those obligations which are unique to men and those obligations which are common to men and women. And it's presented as follows. The first half deals with filial obligations between parents and children, and the second is pure mitzvah obligations. The first half goes, every mitzvah on the child that incumbent upon the parent, meaning anything a parent has to do for the child, and the Gemara will play with the language and figure that out, only men are obligated, not women. The implication being here that fathers, as opposed to mothers, are obligated in these obligations. We'll see what they are. We have a seminal tosefta that we brought at the beginning of the Gemara, which will really inform the rest of today's podcast. Any mitzvot of the father on the children, meaning... It's vote towards parents that children are obligated to do. Both women, women, men and women are equally obligated to do. The second half of the Mishnah, we won't get to for a couple podcasts, that focus on m- women's obligation towards time-bound mitzvot, etc. All right, let's go to the Gemara. My mitzvah alav. So we've already kind of done the spoiler on this. What does mitzvah alav? mitzvot If you think it's mitzvot that a son is obligated to do for his father, nashim p'turot since one woman potter, v'atanya. And we'll see this at the beginning of tomorrow's podcast. Ish ainly ella ish ishaminayin. The Torah says ishimovavivtirau in the first pasuk on the page. A man has to honor, his, uh, revere his father and mother. How do I know that women are included? Kshomer tirau. It says, in the plural, so that's men and women. So uh, the, later on we'll deal with, so why does it mention Ish, but that's not our topic. Here we've uh, sufficiently proven that women are obligated to honor their parents. So, meaning any mitzvot that a father has to do for his son. Good. Now, this goes accords with the following Brita. And again, this Tosefta will inform the rest of our, our session. The father is obligated to circumcise his son, or see that he's circumcised. Liftoto, to redeem him if he is a firstborn. Teach him Torah. To marry him off. Teach him a trade. Some say even to teach him how to swim. Rabbi Huda is making a comment about this. If you don't teach your son a trade, you're teaching him thievery. You think, really, you're teaching thievery? The implication is that it's as if you taught him thievery, because since you did not give him a trade, he doesn't know how to make money, and therefore he's going to turn to a life of crime. Okay, let's take the right apart. Lemulo. How do we know, first of all, that a father is obligated to do Brit Milan his son, and that women are not, that mothers are not? Avram circumcised his son as God commanded him. 
Keep in mind the second half of the Pasuk. If your father didn't circumcise you, circumcise you, the Beitin, the community is obligated to make sure that the child is circumcised. Circumcise for you, in the plural, all males. So it's the community's obligation. If that didn't happen, he has to see to it himself that he's circumcised. Someone who does not have Brit Milah suffers Karet. So you're responsible, ultimately. We don't say the Beitin's Chayav Karet or the Father's Chayav Karet. The son is. At what point that could happen? Now the other question is, how do we know that the mother is not obligated? As God commanded him. God commanded him, God did not command her. All we know is that the father is obligated, that Avram was obligated to commit to circumcise Yitzchak. How do we know that all fathers are obligated? For how do we know for generations? Anytime you have the word Sav, Command, it's a, it's a push to energize you to do it immediately, but it's also a command for generations in perpetuity. Zeruz, how do I know that? Hashem says to Moshe, command, charge Yoshua to take over, give him strength, give him courage. So that is a Zeruz, a, a, a kind of pep talk. How do I know that it's forever? From the time that Hashem is commanded, this is in the mitzvot at the end of Parshat Shalach, from the day that Hashem is commanded, forever, so tziva is forever. All right, liftoto, the father is obligated in the bright to redeem him, and alan dichtiv, kol b'chor banecha tifteh, you must redeem your firstborn sons. Ve'echel lo parke avua, father didn't redeem him, michaiv yulav mifrakeh, you have to redeem yourself. You don't say, my father owes the coin money, I don't owe money. Dichtiv pado tifteh, indeed you shall redeem, so you have to redeem also yourself. Now, how do we know mother is not obligated? We're reading tifdeh, you shall redeem, and tifadeh, you shall be redeemed. Meaning, anybody who's, redeem, who's obligated to redeem himself, you cannot be obligated to redeem others if you're not in the class of those who are obligated to be redeemed. Circumstances appropriately. Anybody who's not obligated to redeem himself, so it works as follows. If you're obligated to redeem yourself, you're, you could be obligated to redeem others, as in your children. If you're not, then not. So women are not. How do we know a woman doesn't have to redeem herself? Anybody who is we're playing with the vowels here because there are no vowels in the Torah. And we're playing with the different possible ways to read taf pei dalad hey, tifde tipade. So anyone who others are obligated to redeem tipade being read in the passive mitzuvelif tot that small is obligated in the active to redeem themselves. So the sequence works as follows: If others are obligated to redeem you, you're obligated to redeem yourself. If you're obligated to redeem yourself, you're obligated to redeem others, as in your children. So now let's start from the basics. How do I know nobody else is obligated to redeem her? In other words, parents. Father is not obligated to redeem his daughter who is firstborn. Your sons. Alright. Let's say father didn't get around to redeeming and now he has a, 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 a Bechor. He finds out he's a Bechor. He has to redeem himself and his son. 
Who kodem livno? He comes first. Now, comes first doesn't mean sequence. It means if he only has enough money for one, he redeems himself. Rabbi Yudah Omer, b'no kodmo. Rabbi Yudah says you have to redeem your son first. Why? Shezeh mitzvah to'al aviv. This mitzvah is on the father, which means your father, who maybe is not around or doesn't care, didn't redeem you. But this, the mitzvah of your son, is on you. So your first priority is really your son, not yourself. Now, I'm a Rabbi Yirmiya. He says, if there's only five slayim, who caught him with no? Then certainly he comes first. My tama, mitzvah the gufe adifa, because you have to take care of your own mitzvah. The machloket is only if you have a total of ten slayim, five of them free and clear, and five of them are mishuabad. Five of them are in, uh, in lean or otherwise uh, claimed. Rabbi Huda Savar, he says as follows. Something we dealt back on Daf Yud Gimel. He says, some, an obligation that the Torah gives is as if there's a star, an obligation on it. Therefore, the five that your father was obligated to redeem you with is already signed over to the Kohen, as it were. So, Bahani Chamesh, you take the Meshubadim, Parik Livrei, you, you, you take the five free, and you redeem your son with it. And then the Kohen goes and takes the five that you, that sometimes, since you were a little kid, went to somebody else, and he can go and claim it because he has an earlier claim from the minute you were 30 days old. The Rabbanan disagree, and they say the fact that the Torah puts an obligation doesn't mean that you've contractually uh, committed to that obligation on the particular money, and therefore, whatever money has left the estate before now, the Kohen has no claim on, and therefore all there is is five, if you have to redeem yourself. So you have to redeem yourself with those five and wait till you get five to redeem your son. Let's say you have only enough money to do Pidyon Ben or to get a Corbin to bring to Ali Alarego for the for the Chag. The first thing to do is to redeem your son. He says, no, Ali Alarego comes first. Why? So first of all, actually, this may not be just about finance, it may also be about sequencing, which you do first. He says, <laughs> you could do a week later, two weeks later. 30 days the first day you could do it. But the regal is gone. I understand Rabbi Yudah, he said a reason. The reason is one of uh, the times passing. What's the reason of the Rabbanan to say that you should do Pidyon first? And then the Torah itself sequenced. Redeem your sons and don't show up empty-handed, as if to say Pidyon Aben comes before Ali Alarega. What if he had five wives, five firstborn sons? How do I know that Pidyon? Meaning, how do I know that Pidyon Aben follows the firstborn of the mother, not the firstborn of the father? Therefore, it puts it in the plural. So Pshita Petarechem Talachman. It's obvious because the Torah associated Pidyon Haben with Petarechem, that which opens the womb. So therefore, however many firstborn children you have, meaning from each wife, they have to be redeemed. So No, perhaps when it says Bechor Banecha, I should associate that with Bechor in Parshat Kitet. Say Kiyata Bechor Benasnu Yakir Latadlo Pishnaim, and there is Bechor Banachala, which is the firstborn of the father. The first of his strength, as it were, Kamash Malan, that Bechor for Pidyon is Bechor Min Ha'em.
All right, the next thing we said is Lamdo Torah, and this will take us on, as could be imagined, a long tangent about all sorts of things associated with Limud Torah, both halachic and agadic. Menalan, how do I know a father is obligated to teach his son Torah? otam You shall teach your sons. If the father didn't teach him, you don't have an out to say, Father didn't teach me, I don't have to learn, you have to teach yourself. You shall learn, not just teach, you shall learn. There's two ways to read the word. How do I know mother is not obligated? You shall teach and you shall learn. Meaning, anyone who's obligated in the mitzvah of Talmud Torah is obligated to teach. Anybody who is not obligated to do their own mitzvah of Talmud Torah is not obligated to teach their son. And we're going to follow the same sequence sort of pidyon aben. How do we know that the woman is not obligated to teach herself? And again, we're going to flip it. Anyone who others are not obligated to teach, anybody who others are obligated to teach, like a son, if he has to teach himself. Anybody who is not obligated to be taught by others, meaning a daughter, she's not obligated to teach herself. Since she's not obligated to teach herself, she's not obligated to teach her son. Now, there's one more step. How do we know that parents are not obligated to teach their daughters in the pyramids of Talmud Torah? Let's not confuse this with teaching daughters how to live properly and how to be Shomer Halacha and the basics of Amuna and everything else. We're talking about the pyramids of Talmud Torah. Teach your sons and not daughters. All right, so we have the same sequence. Since parents are not obligated to teach their daughters, therefore daughters are not obligated to teach themselves. Since they're not obligated to teach themselves, they're not obligated to teach their sons. And so it all starts with the father. Now, the same question we had about priority. Let's say there's only enough money for the father to sit and study or for the son to be sent to study. Who caught him live no? Father has to study first. If the son is sharp and is diligent and his learning is successful, then the son comes first. Now, this is not the same as the same dispute between the same Tanoim, Rabbi Yudon Chachamim, about Pidyon Aben. Here, the issue is simply the results. Who's going to have the greater result in Talmud Torah? And we have an example. Kiyar of Yaakov, Breder of Achab or Yaakov. Rav Yaakov was the son of Rav Acha. His father sent him to go study with Abaye. When he came back, he saw that he wasn't successful. He, was, he didn't have sharp learning. He didn't have the shmot sharply. So he said to his son, I think I'll do better than you. You stay here and evidently work and support the family. I'll go and study with Abaye. Abaye heard that the father was now coming. There happened to be a certain demon or something in the base membership of Abaye. Even if two people would come in, there's a whole development if two people go into an area where Mazikin are found, the Mazikin won't bother them, only if you're alone. And certainly if they go in during the day, even one person, they won't bother you. But here, with such a terrible demon, that even two people would go in during the day, they would be damaged, they would be affected or hurt. So Amrlahu Abai said, Don't anybody give this Ravacha, the father, a place to stay. After maybe we'll have a nace happen. Al, so he came, he had nowhere to stay. Where did he go? He went to sleep in the base vanish, not knowing what was going hap- happening. Bat Bahahu and he slept there. Idmilai this mazik appeared to him like a serpent with seven heads. 
So kol kriya dechara not tachad reisha. And every time that he he davened evidently, and every time that he bowed, one of the heads fell off. And evidently he killed the demon this way. How we understand the story, not for this form. Amar lehu lemachar. Uh, so the next day he said to the students, who all didn't give him anywhere to stay, If I hadn't had a miracle happen, you would have endangered me. You had no right to do that. All right. The story evidently, though, highlights his tzidkut in his willingness to recognize it's not easy that his son is not as strong as he is, and he's the one who should go and study. Again, an issue of sequence. Which goes first? And this is a, a huge question. Do you study first or get married first? You should study first. Right? And, and we'll see later on the issue of Rechaim B'Tzavaro. How can you study when you have the responsibility of a family? So you should study before you have that responsibility. But if you can't make it without a wife, for Yitzhar, for whatever reasons, that's also okay. Marry first, then study. We're not here talking about the issue of support. That's a whole different question. Here, just talking about what you should do first. The halacha is you should get married first. Rabbi Yochanan says, how can you do it? You have a mill over your neck, and you're going to study Torah. You have the responsibility for the family, and you're going to study Torah. How could you do that? And the answer they gave is, In Eretz Yisrael, um in um in uh, the in Eretz Israel they would study at home. They go to the base vendors and they come home, which means they had to support their families. Bavel, which where Shmuel, where he said that you should get married first, they would leave home. And their family with one wife would work or in some other way they would support themselves and they wouldn't have that responsibility. So if you don't have the responsibility and you can study, that's what you should do. So Ravchista would praise to his elder colleague, Rav Huna, about this great Rav Hamnuna. To Adam Godalhu, he said he was a great man. Rav Huna told Rav Chista, when Rav Huna comes, bring him to me. I want to see him. So Rav Hamnuna did not have his head covered. Rav Huna saw this. Why don't you have your head covered? I'm not yet married. However, we understand head covering, that's something unmarried people didn't do. Adrinu lapimine, Rav Huna turned away from him, wouldn't talk to him. So Amarle, Rav Hamnuna said to himself, Chazidu chazidu lapi adinasfat. Rav Chist actually turned to him and said, You see that he will not look at you until you're married. He thinks it's wrong that you're not married. And Rav Huna the Tamer, Rav Huna is being consistent with his own reasoning. Remember, Rav Huna is in Bavel, where they held like Shmuel that you have to marry first. If a man is 20 and isn't yet married, his whole entire life is Bavera. Do you think he's sinning? He's always thinking of sin, meaning because he's deprived sexually, and he's already uh, hormonally and everything, uh, that's what he's thinking about. So he's always thinking about that, and he has no uh, recourse. Until 20 years, who waits to see when is a guy going to get married. Once he's 20, and he doesn't marry, let his bones rot. And as I give up on him. This is a particular take that assumes that a person should, of course, get married, based on this, at the age of uh, of 20 and no later. Um, Rav Chista then said, and Rav Chista himself was married earlier, the reason I'm greater than my fellows is I'm married when I was 16. 
So I didn't have any of that stuff going on. If I had married when I was 14, I could have turned to the Sultan and said, here's an arrow right in your eye. In other words, I, I would have uh, been able to never have any Yitzhahara. Amrle Ravel Ramnatan Barami Adidach Adidach Al Savare Dibrich. Alright, while you have your hand on your hands on the neck of your son, while you still have control over him, that's when you should marry him off. From sixteen to twenty-two. Maybe from eighteen to twenty-four. There was a six year period in there. Kitanoi, as we have the machloket about this age period, training the son. In, in his derach, what's the derach? From 16 to 22 is the time of training the sun. Or from 18 to 24. Clearly there's a, a range in there, and that's what Alpi Darko means according to his own derach, meaning however he's able to do it, at whatever age. Okay, so how, how much are you supposed to teach your son Torah? It's back to our original piece. ben dan particular guy, Shalimdo Avi Aviv, his grandfather taught him Mikra Umishnah Talmud, Halachot Vagadot, basically everything. Meitave, we have a challenge, Limdo Mikra in Malamdo Mishnah. If you taught him Mikra, that's all you have to do. If you have a Mikra, Zutorah, and that's just Torah. So the answer is Kizvulun Bendan Velo Kizvulun Bendan. Zvulun Bendan is a model, but not for everything. The grandfather could teach. There he taught him everything. The real obligation is Mikra. That's what the father's obligation is. Everything else the son has to do on his own. Since when is grandfather obligated? Teach your sons. Not your grandsons. So why does the Torah then say, teach your sons and your grandsons about Mamad Sinai? That's for a homiletic purpose. Anybody who teaches his son Torah, it's as if you taught your son and his son and his son all the way to the end of the generations. So it's to teach you that Banecha is like Ben Banecha, but you only obligate to teach your sons. The answer is Hudam Markita Haitana. He held like another. Zvulun Ben Dan held like another Tana. Tana Limad Temotan Benechem. Ainly Ella Benechem. All I know from that is your sons. Bnei Benechem Inayin. How do I know that your grandsons also? Tamalomar Vada Tamal Vanecha Bnei Vanecha. He uses the pasuk that we just used homiletically as a halachic pasuk, saying, "Teach your sons and your grandsons." So you have to teach your grandsons. Can Matamalom Benechem? So why does the Torah say, "Teach your sons"? If you also have to teach your grandsons, let the Torah teach say, "Teach your grandsons," and Kavachomer teach your sons. The answer is benechem v'lo benotechem. It's there to say sons and not daughters. I remember Shulman Levi called Malan at Ben Benot Torah. Anybody teaches his grandson Torah, Malam Katuv ki ilu ki blame har Sinai. It's as if he got it har Sinai. Shenamar v'atam v'nechem v'nei v'necha. And what does it say right next to that? Yom Hashar Matif ne Adonai v'necha b'chorev. The day that you stood at at har Sinai. Now the pshat in the pasuk is that's what you have to tell your grandsons about Malam har Sinai. But it's certainly a beautiful homily. Rabbi Chia bar Abba Ashkechel Bishuman Levi. So he found Rabbi Shuman Levi. Shani Disna Areshe, Kamamtile Liyanuka Levei Knishta. He threw some sort of a garment, a shmat, over his head to take his kid to the Beit Midrash. Amalei Maikulei Hai, why is Amalei Mizur to Maidichti, Votam Venecha? So he was Shuman Venecha, Adonai Melcha Bechorev. Right? What, it's so little? It's such an important thing to have your kids and your grandchildren learn. So if I go with uh, not the best clothing. Rabbi Chia himself, who saw this, would not taste um, 
any uh, roasted meat and anything good until he would call his kid in and have his kid review what he had learned that day. He wouldn't have dinner until then. He realized this is a very big obligation to study with your children, to go over with your children what they've studied during the day, and he wouldn't even have dinner until that was uh, until he did that. He would not taste anything until he brought his kid to the, to the again, this fancy meat, until he'd bring his kid to the Beit Midrash. What is that? Vishinantam means to review with them. Or it may mean something else. An interesting twist. Not Vishinantam, which may be related to the word Shnayim, but rather Vishilashtam. Give them to them in thirds. A person should divide his years into three. One third Mikra, which the way the Ramam defines it is received law. Again, the way the Ramam defines that is the analysis of the law. How do you know how long you're going to live? You can't say 20 years, 20 years, 20 years. So let's It means you divide your days up, meaning uh, Sunday, Monday, or the first three hours of the day, however it is. This takes us into a very interesting tangent. It says that's why the early Chachamim were called Sofrim, because they would count out their study very, very carefully to have a third, a third, a third. But also they were called Sofrim. They'd count the letters of the Torah. This is, of course, the Mifal of the Balei Masorah. We're very careful to work and work and work to get the proper text of the Tanakh, the Ben Asher and Ben Aftali families. Shayomrim, but this is earlier. Shayomrim Vav de Gachon Chetzin Shaloti Torah. The Vav in the word Gachon, anything that walks on its belly uh, in, in the Shratzim, is the middle letter of all the of Sefer Torah. Darosh Darash, this is in the Korban uh, of the uh, of Bnei Aharon on that day when their two brothers died, Chetzian Shaltevot, that's halfway through the letters of the words of the Torah. Vihit Galach, this is in the Tahara of a um, of a uh, the process of a Mitzorah, when he shaves, that's the halfway mark of Psukim. Yachar Semena Chazir Miyar, there's Pasakantilim, Ayin Diyar Chetzan Shaltilim. That ayin of Yar is the halfway point of all the uh, letters in Tehillim. This, by the way, is part of, uh, of Sadia's whole development of Tillim, of seeing the five books of Tillim as being parallel to the five books of Chumash Noe Chazal, dealt with Tillim as almost being on a par. This is the, one of the sugyot uh, that recommends that. Because notice, they don't do this with any other part of, uh, of Tanakh except Chumash and Tillim. That's half of the Psukim in Tillim. So Bayer of Yosef, Yosef asked, Vav de Gachon mehai gisa mehai gisa. The Vav of Gachon, you said, is the middle letter. Is it the end of the first half or the beginning of the second half? So Amalei, um, uh, they said to him, Neite Sefer Venim Ninu. Let's bring a Sefer Torah. We'll count them. They have a tradition that in some earlier time they had done that. Back in those days, they were experts in plene and defective spelling. Defective spelling is when you spell a word without using consonants as vowels. It's called chaser. And yater is when you use it. It's called plene spelling when you use consonants as, as vowels, like shalom, shinlam vav. In shalom is a ktiv malay. So Amalo Bikinan, Rav Yosef says, we're not such experts in that, which, by the way, raises the whole issue of counting the letters of Torah and doing anything with that count into question. In any case, he says, we're not Baki, we're not experts in that, and therefore, our count in the Torah is not going to help us, because our Sifre Torah are not necessarily accurate to that. Bar of Yosef, so Rav Yosef then asked, Vit Galach mihaigisa, mihaigisa, is Vihit Galach, which you said is the middle Pasuk, 
is at the end of the first half of Psukim or the beginning of the second half. At least we can count Psukim. So Psukim and we're also not experts in Psukim. Why? In Eretz Yisrael, this pasuk that we regard as one, and in all of our Chumashim it's one, in Eretz Yisrael they counted as three. This whole pasuk could be one aliyah. One. So, and Moshe reported their words back. And, I, and you see on the page, I broke it into three sections, which seems to be what the three would be. So, in other words, in things that we consider one pasuk, they consider three. So, we can't even count pasukim properly. All right. Tanar Rabbanan, chamesh dalafim meot pasukim havu Torah. So, this claim is that there are uh, 5,888 psukim in the Torah. Yeah, Tilim Tilim has eight has eight less. Alright, again, Sofrim. Here's another Drasha Vishinantam, not Vilashtam and accounting. Torah word should be Shanun, sharp in your mouth. If somebody asks you something, I'll take I'm game with tomorrow. Don't fump around and try to find the answer. You should have the answer right there. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Meaning, you should know everything that you're asked as well as you know that your sister's also to you. That's the way Rashi reads it. Write the words of wisdom. Tie them on your fingers. Write them on the heart. On your heart, you should know them like this. Now, this is now an extended drasha, the beautiful parak, uh, wisdom parak, uh, parak in Tehillim, who says that the children of your youth are like the arrows in the hands of a uh, of a hero of a warrior. And those arrows are sharp. Again, the word shnunim. Your arrows are sharp, the nations will fall before you. So it's tremendous power when you have that wisdom that's sharp. says, Happy is the man who fills up his quiver with these arrows. He won't be embarrassed when he challenges his enemies at the gate. Now the simple read of this is, a man comes with his sons around him, and they're all young and powerful, nobody can mess with him. But the drush is a beautiful drush. Why does it say the enemies at the gate? The gate are the gates of Torah, often in homiletic literature. Even a father and son studying together, a Rebbe and a stu- student studying together, they're studying in one place. They become like enemies to each other because of the passion of their study. But they don't leave their study until they become more closely bonded with each other, more in love with each other. This is in the Sefer Melchamot Hashem in Parshat Chukat. Altikre bisufa ela bisofa. That vahev, love, comes at the end. In other words, the tremendous battle, the Melchamot Hashem, which is the beginning of that Pasuk, end with love between the combatants because they're both working on the passionate study of Torah together. Alright, more drashot about Talmud Torah, Tan Rabbanan, tem, meaning sam tam. The drasha is that it is a simple drug, simple balm. Torah is a, a, uh, an elixir of life. So a man hurt his son grievously, and then he put a, a bandage there. As long as the bandage is there, you can eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want. 
You can bathe in hot water, cold water, you don't have to be worried about anything. The minute you take it off, the minute that you can have an infection, I created the Yitzhahara, that's the wound, and I created the Torah as the balm, as the elixir for the wound, as the, as the medicine against the wound. So as long as you keep it on, you can do whatever you want. You won't be handed over to the Yitzhahara. This is what Hashem says to Cain. If you are strong, if you are able, you will be able to bear yourself against the Yitzhahara. If you don't, if you take away the bandage, as it were, if you don't study Torah, you'll be handed over to the Yitzhar. If you're not doing the right thing, Chatat is crouching, sin is crouching at the door. And he's going to just be dealing with you. You're going to have desire for him. He's going to have you in his clutches, the Yitzhah. But if you want, you could control him. The Yitzhah is so bad that even the one who created it calls it bad. God says, I see, man is like this. I can't destroy him because they are evil from their youth. In other words, man's evil inclination is evil. So God himself calls it evil. So see how evil it is. Every day Yitzhah gets rejuvenated. That's again in that same passage. In the that's in the pasuk before the flood. Every day Yitzhar wants to get you and kill you. The Rasha looks at the tzaddik and wants to kill him. The Rasha here is the Yitzharah. Without God's help, you couldn't defeat him. The next pasuk is Hashem will not leave him to to uh, to leave, will not abandon you into his hands. He says, My son, if the Yitzhara grabs you, schlep into the base vendors. If he's a rock, he'll become melted by the waters of Torah. If he is, on the other hand, metal, he will explode from the fire of Torah. My words are like fire. Torah is water. All the all the thirsty men go to water. Water uh, rocks get melted away by water. So if the Yitzhar is a rock, the water of Torah will melt him away. If he's metal, the fire of Torah will destroy him. All right, the last thing that we're going to deal with, well, I'm going to deal with a couple things here at the very end of this podcast, is the end of that paraita that says a man is obligated also to marry his son off. We saw earlier issues of age. Benalan, how do we know that? This is Yirmiyahu's advice to the Gola. You're not coming back so quick. Settle in, buy houses. We saw that earlier. Settle because if you can know. Marry women, have sons and daughters. Take daughter, girls for your sons and give your daughters away to son, to, to men. So man is obligated to marry children off. So I understand how he can marry his son off. That's up to him. He can offer help to, with a ketubah. How can he uh, arrange his daughter to get married? He can't force somebody else to marry his daughter. Give her stuff, and have her put nice clothes on, as we saw in the fourth paragraph of Tubot. So people will want to marry her. In other words, make her an attractive girl. 
Olamda umnut, manas teaches uh, son of trade, Manalana Machizkira Makra, Rechaim Misha Sharahavta. Look at the life you have with the wife that you love. What is that? Im Isha Imamashi. If Chaim is along with Isha, so if Isha there means really your wife, so Kashem Shachai Lassi Yosha Kachai Mundumnut. Life, living, I'm making a living along with Isha. So if Isha there means a real Isha, just like you're obligated to marry your moth to an Isha, so you're obligated to teach him a life, to teach him a trade. Im Torahi, if the woman there, as often in wisdom literature, is a metaphor for Torah and for wisdom. Then just like you're obligated to give him the wife of Torah, you're obligated to teach him a living. Some people say you have to teach your son how to swim. In this version, it's to have him uh, build a raft and go in the river. Because save his life. Rabbi Yudon, this is of course very important in Bavel. Right, we already saw that. My Benayu, Benayu da Agmar Iska. So the um, the difference between um, what is Rabbi Yehuda adding, because it seemed it seemed just an observation, said if he taught him business. So according to Tanakama, he taught him how to make a living. But Rabbi Yehuda, he says it has to specifically be something you can work with your hands, so that you won't ever run out of what to do. If it's business, if business is slow, then you'll have idle hands, and of course. We know that idle hands are the devil's tools. All right, we'll pause at this point and uh, pick it up at the second part of the first half of the Mishnah, which is the issue of Kibbutz Aim, which we will engage in in our next podcast. Everyone should have a wonderful day.